friends, friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my ghost-faced, movie-loving, voice-altering prank caller and co-host, Alex Dandino. Yes, that's me. Yeah, that's that. I mean, that's a good summation. You don't want to jump in too much and start unmasking before we get. That's in. a great. Guys, that's a great intro, Griffy. <laughs> Would you like to play intro game, Griffy? <laughs> All right, guys. As always, uh, please take a second, leave us a rating and review, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. That helps us out enormously. Uh, we appreciate those of you who have been doing that lately. Thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. You can also see our faces along with hear our voices on our YouTube channel, Nerd Alchemist, plural with an S at the end. Uh, you can email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com with ideas uh, of movies you'd like to see covered, themes, guests, double features, anything like that. We want to hear from you. Whatever you got. Also on that note, find us on all your socials. Uh, we're there. You're there. Let's get it on. Let's get it on and talk about movie stuff. Uh, but that's it, guys. All right. Today, we are back. Uh, this October, right? Every October, the show goes full buck wild into the depths, the unfathomable uh, abyss, the obsidian abyss of the whole genre. Right? So we got a lot of great stuff coming for you. Every single day this month, a new horror flick. Um. Obviously, the big secrets out of the bag are our mega series for this month is Halloween. So that'll be very excited. Uh, stay tuned for that. But right now, we're starting the month off with Scream. Um, Alex, Scream 2. Scream 2. We're, let, let's dive right in. Uh, to preface, we will be doing the where this ranks among the best horror movie sequels or number twos at the end of the show. Okay. But I think I'm going to spoil it a hair to say this is a really fucking good sequel. Yeah, this is my uh, this is my favorite. What about this sequel works so much for you? I think it's the one upmanship like it's the one upmanship in the face of again, we talked about this on the last pod, like the meta of the movies themselves is so complicated. And I think the tightrope walk you have to do is so difficult in the first one. The having to do it again in a sequel makes it even more mm-hmm. complicated because essentially what's going on now is the get like the bag of tricks is out. Everyone knows what's in the bag. So what you have to do is make it more interesting again. So to me, this is a great sequel for two reasons mainly is one, it still does a good job of taking itself seriously. It takes its premise seriously in that it doesn't go too deep into what you could call probably caricature. To the point where you're like kind of taken out of the story. You're not taken out because you still want to know who the killer is. I want to know who's doing all this again. I thought this was over. Just when you thought you could go back again. There's a great there's a great episode of The Office where Michael Scott says, I feel like Nev Campbell in Scream 2. She thought she could go to college and just hang out with her friends. And then the killer came back. I learned a lot of lessons from that movie. That... Is that is a, that is a that is a great touchstone for anyone watching this film. Everyone should learn their lessons. But the second thing I love the most about Scream Two is the reveal because it is a fantastic, like Jason Voorhees level reveal that's so much fun, and you're just like, oh shit, that is fucking great. Like the cleverness yeah. of the reveal itself of the actual bad guy makes me like this movie even more because it's justified it's fascinating it's worthwhile and again nobody is the wiser for it it's really 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 good and you kind of see it coming because again they do the same thing they did in the first one with billy and stew but you also are just like not paying attention because the movie's having so much fun with your uh sort of misdirection it's cool yes they do a good job of again they set us up where and one of the fun things about the Scream series is that the characters kind of talk in theses, right? Oh, yeah. So every character, everything they say is a dissection of their culture, the world. So a lot of this is taking the piss out of college stereotypes, sorority life, this and that. Um, what I think is really fun, though, is that they still are able to use the exact same weaponry of the first movie. Yes. Which is 
Like a great example. Like this movie does a great job at introducing Cotton Weary into the story. God right? bless. God bless and Liam he's so Schreiber, good, by right? the way. But, but what it is is you start watching it and there are just these moments where you're like, it can't be Cotton Weary. That would be so on the fucking nose <laughs> that the guy who got off. Is, but then you, you start thinking, right? And this is the, the brilliant part of the movie. I would argue I have a little beef with the reveal in this one, right? Right. Because I figured it out immediately the very first scene i could have figured it out i did i knew there was going to be some kind of end around right like there had to be another thing because you're like ghostface is six foot three or whatever but uh you know who i know it is is not so there was like there is still some some clever uh trickery going on what i really like this is the movie where ghostface becomes kind of more interesting in canonization right yeah because I think Ghostface kind of rightfully is put way down on the best slasher character list. Because oftentimes it's people working in tandem. They're bitch-ass high school students. You know, a lot of, like, real wussy white guys are Ghostface. A lot right? of wussy white guys. A and so lot. we go through this cycle, right, where you're like, this isn't... Ghostface himself is not really scary. The fight choreography is really bad a lot of times. You're like, look at Ghostface just sucking at his job. Yeah. But... What this does and what I think this movie solidifies that makes Scream so amazing and Ghostface so amazing is that it it gets into this curse mentality, right? That through our obsession with tragedy and murder and, uh, you know, kind of enjoying other people's misery, there is this infectious nature. These people, these broken, horrible people are pulled, you know, into this gravitational pull of evil and that's what this movie really solidifies. And it, it, it carries out, obviously, still throughout the Scream series. And I think that was a really important addition to this movie. Yeah. I mean, I actually think the – and then the, actually something else that I love that my wife noted while we were watching this is the thing that makes this movie even better is how tolerable it is to watch Nev Campbell go through this again. Because, again, like – Sydney Prescott is not like she's just being it's not like Sydney Prescott's being an idiot. Like I think that's a really important thing. Like it's not just this like flagrant like this flagrant violation of her own like personal rules of like, well, I'm just gonna go to college and fuck around and be a dumbass. Like she's actually very guarded and she has caller <laughs> ID. The first time we see her is someone trying to prank call her. She literally looks at her caller ID, she goes, Hey asshole, you're a dumbass. Like yeah, she's a literal callback from the opening scene where we hear star 69 is right. Ass. And like, <laughs> it's a really important thing for your, especially for your final girl. If she's going to actually last through these movies to be your final girl to act, to learn from her mistakes and to learn from things. And I think that's the thing I like the most and why Nev Campbell is in fact, my, one of my all time favorite final girls, why she's second to no, you know, maybe Lord to second to Laurie Strode is that she learns from the previous movie and does not, take other chances she doesn't consistently she's not super bad until like you know number three is a little weird but like this one is a very well, i think i think this one's a great in, example in two and three they lay the groundwork right yes to where if you were going to make an argument to me that sydney prescott is the best final girl of all time i think the meat of where you make that argument lies in uh two and maybe the open of three right yeah. uh you know the job she does after and this and that mm -hmm. there is a scene in this because that's it. I was just like, Nev Campbell was such an absolute perfect lightning bolt moment for this franchise. But they, and I love too, because they even open when we first kind of see her, right? They have her with all these sorority girls that look very much like the cast of 80 slasher movies. Yeah. And she's just, you know, kind of rebuffing them, and I don't need anyone. I'm cool. But she's still got a boyfriend, so she's not. You know, I mean, yeah, she fits really well into the world. She's a strong woman who's finding her way. There's a scene, though, when we Sydney realizes what's going on, right? I'm, I'm trying to remember the exact context, but there is a, a murder, right? Or not a murder. This is what happens when, uh, when her boyfriend gets jumped by Ghostface, right? Yeah. And Connell gets his arm slashed, and Dewey's, you know, fucking limping around, <laughs> whatever he's doing in this movie. Doofy. Yeah, Doof Doofy's got a severed nerve, so all of a sudden he has a T-Rex arm, and he's, like, still trying to, like, whoop people's ass. I don't know. Do Dewey in this movie 
went a little extra for me at times. But I really love Dewey, so I'm not here to just like I, I throw do haymakers. Too. But it's it's but still hard to imagine moment, Doofy survives this movie. That's right, Doofy. I'm still going with Doofy. Doofy just existing period in this series after part is it's wild. Because what they do with Doofy the rest of the series is he just walks into police stations and does police shit. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, it's it's amazing. <laughs> no, like, the scene sorry, I want to get to, your point. Though, get your point. The, the Sydney Prescott moment where I was like, this is the argument. That's the scene I would show. This is Sydney, right? That and then her working at the call center in three. When she looks and she sees and the fucking weight, right? There's been another murder across the street and the weight of what's happening. And there is this beautifully done push in right on Nev Campbell's face is the realization hits that this is continuing and that she is going to be at the center of it. I mean, I, I watched it and I was just like, you just don't get lucky enough to have that good of a performance in a lot no. of horror movies. No, you know, true. a lot of horror movies, they cast unknowns, they cast younger actresses, this and that. But in that one moment, I was like, she just told you an entire emotional cascade, right? Uh, a damn being undone, right? And the flood of everything that's coming while maintaining strength and stoicism. I was like, that scene right there was fucking, and also being like, am I fucking another killer? Right? There's a lot going on in that scene, and she just crushed it. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's one of those great, it is one of those great moments that just solidifies why this is the right choice for a final girl. Why this is, why she's the star of the movie. And, yeah, well, she has that line at the end, too, right? Where it's, you forgot one thing about Billy Loomis. I fucking killed him. And I was like, Yeah! Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I mean, you just, you want to rage with Sid. You're like, yeah, I'll, I'll follow you all the way. I, I having been rewatching the screams and we're about to rewatch Halloween. So it's kind of fitting. I didn't even think about it as like a best final girl contest, but she, I mean, I think too is where you see this, this real ascension factor. Yeah. Uh, I actually want to jump back for a moment. Yeah. This is my favorite opening in the horror in the scream <laughs> series. Right. Right. Because everyone talks about the opening of Scream 1 as this iconic, you know, it caught us off guard, Drew Barrymore got But I think the opening to Scream 2 it's amazing. is its own, it's its own Banana Republic microcosm yeah. of why this movie so, like, I watched that opening and I just remember, I, I had to rewatch the first X amount in the movie theater because I just kept writing questions down. I just wrote so many fucking questions down. I mean, because what? Because one, they're they're at stab, right? Right. They're kind of dissecting uh, stab and going at you know it's just white people getting killed by white people. Blah blah. blah. I want to see Sandra Bullock only she take it hot. And I was like, all right, I'm in. I'm with you. Once we enter that theater, it becomes this fucking theater of the absurd. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's like because <laughs> one, the studio just the most blatant murder porn of all time the studio is handing out getaway outfits yeah <laughs> right encouraging the fucking uh rainbow knife so you wouldn't really be that weirded out if you saw a real knife so the studio is just clearly giving people the tools and saying hey watch this would you like to be the murderer yeah and then i'm completely convinced that that creepy concessionist just put so much cocaine in every snack at that bar because you go into the theater. It's nuts. And it is a literal wild madhouse. It's bonkers. I don't understand. And not only that, people just keep walking in and out of the theater. Like, it's more of like a hangout. Like, well, you're just moseying. It, it reminds, so, they're so wildly excited for Snap that they're that, not but watching then, like, the movie. Yeah, the movie starts. And, like, the movie begins. The lights go down. And, like, when you're in movie theaters in general, even excited theaters, nobody, like, starts screaming when the lights go down. Like... Only gigantic assholes. Right. Only gigantic Only assholes. And apparently every gigantic asshole is in this movie theater because the lights go down. And not only are they all like screaming and whooping and hollering, but everyone with a ghost face like Kit is literally just like, yeah, and like stabbing the air and shit. Yeah. I'm like, good Lord. Like, this. Yeah. Like, what? The, it's like the studio wanted them to come out. Like, so the interviews be like, how was the movie? Like, all the reporters, like, how was the movie? Like, oh my gosh, the best way I say yeah, I mean the co the cocaine definitely was a part of it. Cause that's just there's no logical explanation for what's happening None. unless we're also taking in this. This becomes this ring style like paranormal experience where when you see stab it activates your inner angry white man. <laughs> <laughs> it just sends you into a fucking 
glorious rage at the screen. It's it's wild. But even past that, right? The 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 scene in the bathroom even is very interesting to me, right? Yeah. Because you got the Omar Epps scenario. He goes in and there's two ghost face like co-peeing that won't move. So like already this is a very strange like what is this some eyes wide shut bathroom shit? Who knows? He goes into the bathroom and just starts hearing. Oh, tell them what I did, mommy. Oh, mommy, mommy, I'll show them what I did. Because I had the captions on, so I could actually like yeah. read what the fuck was being said. Which I feel like again, that's that's a dead giveaway, right? Yes. Because like, <laughs> I remember figuring it out the first time I saw the movie. If you watch it with the captions, you're like, this is one thousand percent. Yeah. Like up front, again, they do a good job of literally telling you all the things you need to know to move forward with the knowledge yeah. that this person is like with the knowledge that Mrs. Loomis is the killer of this film. And yet, and Timothy Oliphant, of course. And then, but yeah, if you, ha- again, if you have kids, you watch movies with captions because they're either screaming or they're sleeping. So you have no yeah. option. So like we watch it, we watch everything with subtitles now. And so I'm watching this with the captions. I thought the same thing. I saw that line and even Andrea was like, oh, it's definitely Mrs. Loomis. Now I'm like, I never even knew what they were saying. I just assumed they were yeah. like, I honestly thought they were just fucking. And that was always well, the thing. I thought it was going to be some other lady, right? I didn't know Mrs. Loomis immediately, but also there's this weird, it's such a funny setup. Cause I was like, so are the two other little ghost face in on this? Were they intentionally just blocking those urinals? How long did she stay in there? She just assumed he was going to piss. Right? Like, just straight up assumed that he had to come to the bathroom. I mean, there's a lot Because of... later we get into this, like, wildly complicated... She's killing people who share one name with the victim. I mean, again, it's a really... So like, this is getting It's a very, insane. like... Again, it's a very, <laughs> like, inanely clever way to completely misdirect what's going on. Like, okay... The only thing you really would know, and what's good, and again, this movie does such a good job, for by that being the case, like, oh, it's one name. Oh, they're going in order of the kills. Okay, cool. Literally never comes up again. Because in that's if that's the case, you should be going in order of who's, and they should be like chasing down like who the next person that right. was killed was. Uh... And also, that's just their assumption, right? So they sure. can throw it in our brains, because this is what the movie does But then well, it also it, dimes it out constantly every single feeds character. You evidence. Yeah. Yes, they're always giving you these little red herrings, right? To where, hey, if you uh, miss this and then you get the reveal wrong, you'll feel like a fool. Right. So we're over analyzing constantly. Yeah, I just I thought it was so strange. The kill was good. You know, it's like it's just a wild setup in general. I, but I actually really liked Jada Pinkett's death, right? Because this is something Scream does exceptionally well, which is there is this wild, especially in this fucking, you know, where the wild things are theater with these coked up white people just watching stab and getting fucking revved up. Just totally, just fully torqued watching Heather Graham get murdered. Absolutely torqued. Right. And I like too, that when the white killer comes back, he now also has his mask on, right? <laughs> he, he has to blend in with the herd of other whites, but it's so strange. But when they do this though, this reality of we're so wrapped up in the violence and murder on screen and when we see it in life, we're desensitized yes. to the point that we don't even accept the reality of it. Totally. And we think it's also just part of the entertainment for us in the theater. Yeah. That's that's one of those you get the kill you need, right? You need your bigger body count and more blood and more elaborate, as they say in the scene. But it's also one of those good snipes that, you know, what Scream does is it's it's partially reflecting back at yeah. us, right? Like well, I always yeah. make the joke, right? Like Scream is kind of that when you accidentally, you know, see your reflection in the phone when you're jerking off, and you're like, oh, yeah, what's that thing? Oh, really God, I'm, I'm going to go right. I'm not going to do it. And it's hideous. Scream for and me. And that's what this movie does. Yeah, scre- <laughs> all the screams are some version of a funhouse mirror of when they were made. That's like the benefit yes. of these movies. And again, that's what's so kind of deceptively, but not deceptively, it's just what's brilliant about the Scream, the Scream franchise in general is that the cracked mirror or funhouse mirror or whatever you want to call it of these movies is that they are completely meant to cap like time capsule when they came out. Like this one came out, what was it? Two years after a year or two after like this perfectly encapsulates what people loved the most about the first scream. 
and what frightened people. And then when we talk about Scream 3, we can get into exactly like that movie came out at a very specific time and it's reflected in the in the movie itself. So again, <laughs> the meta the meta of the meta narrative is very fascinating and not and again, it's very difficult to make those kinds of things not distracting. Like you are stopping short of someone breaking the fourth wall and turning to the camera. So by not doing that, you're keeping people engaged in the story besides just like, cause really a lesser filmmaker would have Randy like Zach Morris, this shit and stop the entire movie to talk about movies. And the fact that we don't <laughs> is wonderful by the way, but making it part of the general narrative is what works very well. And that's what continues to work for scream Two is that you change the setting, you give your characters a couple of years to age up, but you don't make them the same person. You give them the general, you give them the general knowledge of the first one and let them improve upon their original. So the only person who like seems to not learn any lessons is Dewey. Like, obviously he should not be running around, but you know, see, I, I think Dewey does learn. I would say Gail, because well, Gail just comes in straight up and she's like, Hey, what's up? I still suck. I'm real. Well, I feel like people. Gail, Gail Weathers, <laughs> Gail Weathers character to me, but across the movies, never really learns a lesson. Gail always comes no. in hot, always ready for something, and literally right. almost constantly always almost dies. There's Well, she is I think she's always our lens from the exploitative media, right? Totally. So Gail always is there and she I think she shows sympathy when it can help her, right? And when she like that's the thing. I don't ever truly buy any of the her and Dewey moments. Cause that's I'm like, I think she really is having this cathartic, oh, maybe I'll just marry Small town Dewey, and he can T-Rex around our house, and it'll be great. Or is she like, hey, we got to get this job done so I can get the next book out? You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's... So, yeah, but Gail never, ever seems to have a real... And, and that's that's actually kind of a, a credit to Courtney Cox's performance, right? Yeah. Is she is always captivating and fun to watch while completely refusing to seemingly ever take any of this in and be like, I, I got to do better. Like I can do no, much yeah. better. <laughs> she never, she never learns from anything. Like, and again, I, to me, yeah. Like Dewey, I think always is one of like, Dewey has a more practical reason not to engage because he literally can't walk properly anymore because of the first time this all happened. The fact that right, he's willing that's to, that's what's cool. Dewey's the man to prove that he can right. still the get fact the that job he's willing done. To right. Do it After he was him scorned heroic. in a book. Right. The fact that yeah. he, he's willing to do it makes him somewhat heroic. Gail never learns because nothing bad ever happens to her. Like, she's never really in any, like, actual danger. No one ever tries to actually – she almost gets I mean, murdered. she gets fucking shot. <laughs> by, like – Oh, eh, eh. eh. <laughs> you've I never mean, been – you've never had a bullet bounce off your rib? In the Scream movies – does that even matter? You, no one. You do not have the street cred of a Gale Weathers to be throwing such accusations. No one ever dies from a gut shot in Scream movies. Ever. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of. But that's kind of a fun extra thing in Scream is you're like, until I see them cremated, I'm assuming this person could come back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? uh, yeah, I thought. Because it's so funny because they, they really do run. And I think that's a cool thing, too, is they're showing, like, the sequel issue, right? They're running exactly the same playbook. Is O'Connell the guy? Blah, they keep giving us these great breadcrumbs of who could be the guy. Right. Again, I think one of my beefs with the movie, if I had a big beef with this, I love Laurie Metcalf. Great addition to the movie. She's awesome. And that final scene when she just has her wild eyes and she's snapped, So good, dude. She's amazing. So good. But this this gets back. There's this other movie, uh, The Black Coat's Daughter, right? It's a popular mm -hmm. kind of small horror movie. Yeah. It's a great movie that I really enjoy until they get to this finale where you're like, I have to be so stupid to imagine the series of events that would allow this to happen, right? Kind of a how do you not recognize this person? For me to assume that Gail Weathers, super reporter, who's been investigating this book on Billy Loomis, right? writing about the boy the teenage boy who killed her and blah 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 didn't have a chapter about billy loomis and his family being broken up and she's never seen a fucking picture of mama loomis 
Mama Loomis was never interviewed on the TV shows like every other fucking person. <laughs> like, are you? F- well, I know what Jeffrey Dahmer's parents look like. Are you fucking kidding me? Well, also, okay, I get when that. When they that do is- the line, it's like, oh, it's 60 pounds and some work. Right. And I was like, oh, again, all right. Th- they try to give her the out by that. Because, you like, because again, she, it's not like she doesn't recognize her. It's that she goes, oh, that's she's very different from what I saw in photos. Yes, I agree. No, no, no. no. Sydney recognizes her. Right. And so I was like, if Sydney recognizes her, then she's not like completely face offing. Right? Well, like, Sydney recognizes Gail not knowing who she is. No, no, is no, 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 no. Sydney, Gail interacts with her for Sydney five recognizing times. her makes sense. Gail not recognizing yeah. her. Gail, Gail not recognizing her makes more sense because she's not as close to the action. But again, it's. Yes, I agree. It is like a huge hole in what you would otherwise yeah. assume would be a reporter's repart. Right. A, a part of a reporter's thing is to make sure she actually interviews the people. I mean, you can make a. I can come up with anything. I could. I could explain it away and say. Um, sure, but I mean, I think that's one of the cool things. It's one of those things that I just saw it and I was like, because they even mention in sequels it gets more elaborate. This and that. You know, <laughs> they they let you know really early that there's two killers. So right. I didn't figure out who the second person was going to be, right? Because I was like, of course they're not going to use the Billy knockoff, right? <laughs> like, no fucking way. And, of course, they did it. And you're like, damn. But her, I figured, because I was like, why does she keep talking to this lady reporter over and over? You're like, of course, it has to be that one. And it's just like, I just wish they would have done. If you're going to go that weird and do the big Lifetime movie reveal, yeah, say something crazy. Say, like, I went to, you know, I went to Thailand and got my entire face redone. I look like a new woman. The woman my man would have wanted. You know, you know, like, just add that one extra line in. That's all they had to do. I, There's no fucking way that Gail Weathers does not know what Billy Loomis's mother looks like. I don't care how much fucking again, weight she yeah, lost. Yeah, but you can, I mean, I could explain it a way where that Gail is, the idea is that Gail considers herself a great reporter and perhaps she is not as good. You could make that a, sure. I could make that assumption sure. that she is a short-sighted reporter and that she would not research that portion of the Woodsboro murder story. Granted, right? Nope. Like, but there's also a gaggle of reporters around her at all times. Yeah, I'm not. One of them has to be a good reporter. <laughs> Do they? I believe our current climate would speak otherwise. Um, I think. <laughs> let me let me put it this way. Would I want Laurie Metcalf to not be in the movie to address this issue? Absolutely not. Laurie Metcalf adds more to this movie than the no one knowing what Billy Loomis's mom <coughs> flaw is, right? I'm totally down. But I just it struck me in a movie that's so tight and so reflective that this just feels like a really dumb one to miss. I wondered if there was something extra going on and it just didn't click with me. I mean, to me, if it's they about, made it that that absurd for a reason. I mean, that is to me always the thing when I watch Scream movies is that the absurdity, yeah. the absurdity is what's supposed to win, in my opinion. You're never supposed like when we're watching these movies and we're analyzing them and trying to like figure out who the killer is and actually get through this mystery and try to solve it before our characters do. The importance because great example. C.C. Cooper's death, which is Sarah Michelle Gellar in the movie, is bar none yes. the most bonkers, ridiculous murder scene of all time in a movie. She is chased up. The we stairs. just watched the garage door murder. She, this is we, she, we just watched the garage door murder, which is awesome. And this is awesome. Sarah Michelle Gellar's murder is she gets chased up the stairs while throwing things down the stairs, which is like and not only like things, not just like. She's not throwing, like, heavy vases or anything. She's literally throwing, like, bicycles. Things that can be avoided. (laughs) (laughs) Like, there's absolutely not, like, they do the exact same thing in Scream 3, and at least there, there's stuff that's heavy and could actually hurt. Like, she is not throwing anything that's an obstacle. But that's not an absurd, I did note, I was like, this, it is, that scene is interesting you brought it up, because my note on that scene was one I like that they went back into the cameo like get bigger name actresses to have these one. Well, the whole that was cool. I mean, the the by the way, Windsor College might as well. Heather Graham, Tori Spelling. Windsor College might as well be called uh like CW University or the WB University because like <laughs> the entirety of the cast of every one of those shows was in the fucking movie. Yeah right. <laughs> I think she, I think. But what the I only person in the show is fucking James Lynn- Vanderbeek. That's true. He was probably in there somewhere. <laughs> He's one of the ghost face extras. 
But yeah, when she killed uh, Cece, though, I was like, oh, this version of Ghostface is way more brutal. Well, yeah. No. Like, do you remember what we talked about in Scream 1, the first time when we see Drew Barrymore killed? There's kind of a slow, like, figuring out where to aim before the mm-hmm. murder. I mean, granted, then she ends up in a tree gutted. Right. So I guess it's hard to make the argument, like, more hardcore. But it was just, it was very brutal and fast kill. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? Well, and to me, again, like, I'm not saying the ending of her death was not horribly brutal. Because, yes, I agree. Like, getting stabbed and thrown off the top of a building, not great. <laughs> but the hijinks getting to that were very, like, Looney Tunesy. And to me, like, that is something that the Scream movies do very well without, like, overdoing yes. it. Without, because, like, they parodied it, they parodied it in a scary movie as well. And yeah. that could be the thing that's burned in my brain. But at the same time, it's also one of those things where I look at that and I'm like, there's an ampage here that I'm not sure I necessarily qualify. The end, yes. But getting her up there takes considerable effort with like, again, she's like the worst murder victim ever. She's just like she's throwing like Nerf balls. It's but, so bizarre. But that lady has had that. That woman character has been murdered in that way. A thousand times in, you know, these movies. So I get it again. Scream. One of the things I guess you could argue it doesn't do well is the fighting and action. The choreography of like people fighting is always madness in these. Ghostface might be one of that's kind of on purpose. Yeah. I mean, I've always assumed that the reason Ghostface is like the most uncoordinated person in the history of horror movies is because (laughs) he's wearing like. He's wearing a mask that he can't see out. They're wearing a mask that he can't see out of very well. And I I guess robes. Like, again, it makes you really wonder how the fuck true. Uh, Brutus rolled up to Julius Caesar and actually was able to pull something off. Because I got to tell you, man, like, well, no, he just kind of sauntered up and stabbed him in the back. Yeah. You can't be doing all these athletic moves and high kicks and shit. Yeah, I got to say, Ghost, Ghostface might be the least athletic uh, of all serial well, no, killers. He's got a movies. full thing like robe. That's if he had a dress on, dude, like I used to. Like Romans, they used to have like sundresses essentially. That's what a toga is. It's like a sundress setup. So you, as long as your knees aren't hampered, you right. still got the hey, hey. You know what I mean? You can still throw it but from the But it's just hip. like the amount of flailing that goes on from Ghostface is just like every yes. time. Like he always is falling over stuff. Every time. Yes. Every house he chases no, but people through. He's very much a cartoon. Yeah. He's very much a cartoon caricature. But I think that. And then, but this movie always ends that goofy bullshit. In a really hardcore murder. The murders are brutal in this. Well, and that was the thing I loved about, uh, it was like, again, this is a great example. Randy says it in the movie when he explains the rules, but I love the amp up here when her and her friend are in the backseat of the the cop car and they're on their way and the cops get murdered. That scene where Nev Campbell and her friend have to crawl over like a knocked out ghost face. God, dude. What a great scene of like something that should be completely innocuous and probably cut out of a movie because everyone would yeah. sit in the theater and go, come on. He wouldn't have woken up like that yeah, to take me. Take the mask off. Yeah, you're screaming at the TV. Take the mask off. Like I was just. Like, we were all Jada Pinkett Smith in that moment screaming at the loved TV. Loved it. <laughs> loved it, dude. I love that scene. Dude, you forgot, though, the craziest part of that scene is the cop, the cop who with gets the fucking, his fucking head oh impaled. Oh, my God, yes. And when they come back on that absolute fucking nightmare fuel uh, <sighs> effect, he's still twitching. Yeah, the arm, like the hand twitch. Still, oh, my God. That is so good. To me, that is the coolest like horror moment in the Scream series. Absolutely. That is so fucking good. I fucking love it. it oh, that was insane. <laughs> oh, no, that, that one is uh, awesome. I'll tell you the scene that really jumped out to me that I loved. I love uh I loved Sydney's play. I was really into the play of Sydney being cast and essentially birthed by ancient golem clay faces. Yeah, I mean Sydney that birthed her and for her to not be like this is a little on the nose, yeah, maybe not the fact that Sydney- and her drama teacher just being like I get it. Some things are going on with you, but I don't have an understanding. <laughs> I love that. But I like that visual amp up, though. That was really yeah. fun. And it leads to a perfect place to have our finale, right? I, but I lo- that moment was great. No, it was great set. Good, great set piece. Great use of the set piece. Because, like, there's no reason to show us that she's a, what, dance and theater major or whatever. Which is a weird choice for someone who's literally trying to not get murdered on a regular basis. But... Like, that was a great piece of set to have for the end. 
of the movie itself. Yes. And then, yeah, I absolutely love uh, the uh, the scientist from Secret of the Ooze telling her, hey, <laughs> just, uh, just give me a break here. <laughs> the smart, cultured, everyman uh, character actor, yes. <laughs> I have, to, but it was I have so, to learn that guy's it name. It was so good, but in that moment, too, in that moment, something really interesting dawned on me, right? Because her detectives are in the room. But Ghostface still could have killed her so easily, right? Yeah. My question, I this is when I realized Sydney has some form of story armor, right? So the killer in that moment, I'm assuming that would be Mickey who was in Ghostface at that moment, knows that he is not to kill Sydney yet, right? And I think that leads to and explains away why Sydney is willing to climb over Ghostface. And again, one of those classically dumb horror movie things is because I think in a way, Sydney begins to sense that she has Wait, are you... some kind of armor, right? She she is now seeing this whole thing as a play. Are you sa- wait, are you saying that are you saying that you the ghost face that she sees when she's rehearsing is real? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I have always harbored on the assumptions she saw that she was she was well, having. Okay, so there's there's one of two things. There's one she sees it. Mm-hmm. But then I'm like, why do we see him like run off? Like, you know, characteristically, not athletically run away from the stage. Right. <laughs> but on the flip side, the counter to my argument is when did Ghostface learn all the choreography and dancing? <laughs> for this? Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, to me, this is a, again, and it, it's interesting because it's but, but Mickey's also an obsessive art kid. Maybe he could have learned the choreography. But I mean, the thing that I the reason I like that it's a vision, too, is because it builds on what we end up getting from Scream 3 as well. If this is something that is a repeated motif for Sydney, Sydney is continually having visions of things she does not want to see or she does not want to address. So like, OK, her deciding to a be a theater and dance major B, star in this play where she's being chased by people in masks the entire time for the big no, fucking finale. No, she's being birthed by them. That's the thing. She's being birthed Whatever. by them. But never... Sydney Prescott was born from men in masks. But if that's the case then, which is fine. Wh- I mean, to me, <laughs> the psychosis of seeing things that are not there is a really important aspect of Sydney Prescott's development as a character anyways because... What right. it does, especially in three, is actually motivate her in a lot of ways, which is pretty it is the great the great addition of part three is that. Yeah, I don't think there's any other elements of that in this one. Well, so I don't. I'm choosing to. to me, assume, I've never assumed that the ghost face in that scene was an actual ghost face. Then why wasn't he just gone? Why did we see him like stage left? Why would <laughs> so you like jog away? Why wouldn't you just assume that that's Sydney's vision? That's the whole point. She's an unreliable narrator in that moment because she's starting to see things. The idea is that Sydney we Sydney imagines him jogging off though, instead of just vanishing. I or mean, just like a crowd of golem mask, you know, that aren't ghost face above her. I mean, why not? Man? I don't know. I'd be interested. Alchemist. What do you think, man? Yeah. I mean, I'm going, I'm going real moment. I, again, my I theory is that it explains away why Sydney does a couple dumb things at the end. Because she realizes she has story armor. She has import. Sure. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I personally. It's possible. It's possible. I'm not saying it's impossible. There's nothing impossible, especially in the subject. I guess because, yeah, you're saying you never thought it was real. I never assumed it would be a vision, which is weird because I assume everything in movies is a lie. <laughs> I always assumed she was imagining what she was seeing because, again, it's a, it's a matter of a developing psychosis. Like, she. Has right. she has had like for one, she also a lot of the times you get to hear you. She hears voices, that kind of stuff. Like there's nothing about what's happening to her that is normal. So why wouldn't she be thinking maybe why wouldn't she just have a vision of her tormentor coming for her again? Weird choice to want to actually star in this thing where people yeah. are running around you in masks. I mean, given well, your, it's cool for us to watch. Given it's your visually history. very fun. Yeah. We watch Sydney, the the final girl, right, be born in form and caught in this, you know, stage play, right? So it's it's this really cool symbolic moment for what is happening to her in this movie. Right. Because Sydney at the end of part one is like, well, that was a tragic whoops-a-daisy, right? One scorned boyfriend and his fucking moron friend. Uh, you know, what are the odds? Whoops-a-daisy. Right. In this second one, not only do we canonize that 
Ghostface is not himself like this big scary killer, but he is this this great drawing evil, right? Like essentially the he is the monolith in 2001 but for evil white people, right? Yeah. That's what Ghostface becomes and I think that's really cool in a similar way we see that somehow something about Sydney does this as well, right? It it gets this kind of bigger feel which which I like. And you know, we do see her uh start to go down this you know, it it's possible. It's possible. Um what did you make of the cast in this one? I thought again, really good cast. Strong cast. I thought it was hard to recast as good as the first one. They did a really good job in this one. Yeah, I mean, I think when you're <laughs> When you're in college, you're trying to mix it up. Uh, still a lot of white people in college. Um, again, I I, I, I liked that it was not – I liked that we weren't just doing a repeat of the cast in general. Um, I liked that it was a slim main cast too. Like for me, the first Scream is a big ensemble. And yeah. this one was much more, much more tightly knit. It's basically Nev Campbell, her friend who the name escapes me right now, uh, Randy Meeks. Uh, Randy Meeks and then uh, David Arquette and, and, and then Dewey and Dewey and Gale. Like, that's pretty much it. Like, those are the main players throughout the entire movie. Like, you don't really have – and they're also all in the same hunt the entire time. Like, for me, Scream is a lot – the first Scream is a lot about convergence of narrative because, like, Gale could give a shit about the survival of these kids. <laughs> Gale wants the story. Dewey yeah, probably the opposite. Dewey is trying to keep her. Dewey, Dewey's trying to keep people safe, and all the kids are just trying to party, except for obviously Stu and Billy who are trying to murder uh, Sydney. Murder Preston. and party. Murder, murder and party. This save the murder for after the, this one has a really sex. centralized narrative. And again, like there's plenty of like famous people that pop up in the movie. Like Jerry O'Connell's yeah. a great addition. Like he's pretty. One note, like, again, he's a frat guy. There's really nothing else to say about him. He also has one of the more horrifying moments in the movie. Definitely. When he's like, my girlfriend's being targeted by a murderer. People are dying at college. But. Top Gun. She might she might fancy two detectives. So I'm just going to Top Gun and walk on people's, you know, put my dirty shoes on the tables where people eat their food. Put my dirty. And make it all about me. Put my dirty penny loafers, which, by the way, could they have given him yeah. a worse, like, look for the entire movie? <laughs> he, he just. He, I mean, he's a handsome devil, but if you're asking me, I already had sex with a killer once <laughs> who used me putting him in jail for the killer that he would become uh, as a lever with which to pry me open and get sex out of me, right? Yeah. Jerry O'Connell having the same where he's supposed to be the good guy by the end. It's like, I never would have done anything to hurt you. It's like, well, you were manipulating me because yeah. you wanted to make a big fucking show tune out you of it. You did wear your sweet say, penny hey, loafers. Can we and... still have kisses. You did wear your sweet Instead penny loafers to like, give hey, me a going fucking necklace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're, hey, I'm going through some stuff, man. Can you back the fuck off? Can you back off? Just go do push-ups and wear button-up shirts somewhere else. <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah. A lot of tucked button-ups. Let button -ups. me fucking mourn. Why? You're in college, yeah, dude. That's, Why you... That is essentially his two notes, right? Is he sees her talk to any like he sees her run up to Dewey and is like, mm. and I'm like, what? Fucking Dewey's limping around like Igor. No way. <laughs> like, what is happening? Yeah, I, Jerry. O but that's again, Jerry O'Connell has to be the we think he's. I think the Jerry O'Connell's character is just super insecure that he's dressed like a dad at a Fourth of July barbecue all the time. Yeah, like that's constantly. that's a look though at that age. Believe it or not, that's a look. Uh, I actually thought Cotton Weary was the superstar edition. Oh, hell yeah. See, this the is way the thing I love. Leah Schreiber plays him is so good. And actually, it's it's one of the things that bothers me about Scream is I think he got did dirty in Scream 3. Definitely. I think Scream 3 benefits a lot if Cotton has a better run. Well, and you have to, again. What he does is this great, brill I mean, it's it's so we'll get fun. To, we'll get to like what it, we'll get to what Scream 3 did to Cotton. But to me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like he has this great runway in the movie itself, and I fucking love how like he, again he gets the hero ending. It's fun, man. I love that. Like I like yeah. the redemption. I like the redemptive quality of Cotton Weary because he's obviously kind of a dick, pretty much. Yeah, but that's what I mean. I don't know if I'd call it redemptive, right? Because well, when he shows up and he's like, "Hi, Sydney. I'm just here to clear the air." <laughs> You're like, "Oh, that's not." That's not. Oh right. no, I mean the ending, not his beginning though. That was a terrible. Right, idea. but I'm saying that scene in the library when he's just like, "It's Diane fucking Sawyer." Like, love it. Forget Gail. We need. To, I need this. You owe this to me. 
and he starts fucking losing. I was like, oh, look at this guy. And then he's, you know, tough talking the cops. Right. And I was like, what a great drop. Killer. And even in his very last moment, right? Because, again, we do that. He has bloody hands. We think he's a killer. Mm-hmm. His last moment is he has a gun, right? Is, is uh, you know, the unrecognizable mama, mama has a fucking knife to <laughs> Sid's throat. And he's like, I'll kill you or I'll save you if you now do a verbal contract for Diane Sawyer. So it's such a piece of shit I move. It. I love it. And at the end, Sydney's even like, oh, there's the hero. And he, what does he do? He's like, there's a time and a place and a price. Here's my card. <laughs> but like that's. And he saw it's such a fucking. Because that's the thing. He's not really a redemptive hero. But it's redemption. Right? I love that. But it's redemptive in the cotton weary fashion. Like to me, what it is is. It's, right, right, right. It's redemptive for Sydney because she gets to right a wrong for what? Uh, yep. But more importantly, and give that shine away at the end. She that's what I was about saying, to say. You be that's the, the most girl, important I'm thing out. is that she literally says, great. I don't have to deal with this ever again yeah. because he's now the person like that. I think is probably the most important aspect of the whole thing is that Sydney yeah. literally gives, like you said, gives the shine away because she doesn't want to. It's deal impressive because it. every other fucking character seems obsessed with it. Obsessed. That's and what she's makes, just like, no, man. That's right? what makes that's, her so That great. is her final girl armor, right? Because she does break the, you know, drinking and sex, I think. So it's like, you know, that is her thing is that she has this nobility. Yeah. But yeah, I, I just, I thought it was cool. Because if you make Cotton come back and just be this straight up hero, it's <laughs> like, I mean, we already know he's no. a, you we know, need... he's out there fucking slinging dong to married ladies. Yeah, we need the Cotton you know, weary that banged out Now he's trying to like leverage this thing so... But I think it's a really cool spot they find where it's, you Again, know, just I think the, that he's the, not, the enemy of my enemy, right? I think him not being the scumbag with a heart of gold is probably the best part about the Cotton Weary story yeah. is that he's but that, still. That, that's what I mean, though. That that nailing that landing of I could save you. But <laughs> again, it's. It's such a fine tightrope to walk. And that's my favorite part about Cotton Weary is that. He's still the same guy who's laying pipe to Maureen Prescott. Like, it that never changed. Like, yeah. he totally banged that lady. Like, that's, I think, yeah. is the most important thing is you never forget that he definitely fucked Sydney's mom. But yeah. he's got a, he's, he's a price, like everyone else. Like, that's the best part. <laughs> but that I, I like, because Gail gets away with this, too. I, I do like in Scream where they don't feel the need to give people these hero moments all the time. Like oh, some no, people are just kind of scumbags. I mean, that's the best and part. He plays it, makes like I love real. after he shoots her and he's just like, Oh, that was intense. <laughs> and it's like, he's just such a, it's, he doesn't have an enormous amount of screen time, but I feel like cotton Weary's a very well fleshed out character in my mind. Like I feel like I perfectly understand this guy from it's, these awesome choices. I think it's Liam to the credit. <laughs> it's to the credit of Liam Schreiber that we're able to understand cotton weary so well. And again, yeah, he's a character who has maybe a sum total of like, I don't know. What do you think? Like 15 minutes of screen time throughout three movies. Maybe. Oh, I, I would say that's probably even too much. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess he gets like five minutes in the next one, but yeah. yeah so, I mean, like to me, Cotton Weary, oh, spread out 15 minutes over three movies. Liev Schreiber makes a fucking feast out of this character. Yeah. And the fact Which that always does. And He's the fact the that best. we remember that character so well, as opposed to like him be like, because to me, Billy Loomis is important because he's the first killer. But I mean, yeah. Billy Loomis is Billy Loomis and Stu are still very one note, even though they are played masterfully. And again, no, no discrediting my man, Matthew Lillard. He is amazing. But no. They are still just like those characters. This guy survived three movies, and I know everything about him that I need to well, know. Well, he didn't survive three movies, but he was in. Three he got movies. to be in all three. <laughs> that is in the Scream universe. That is survival, my friend. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I. It's just it's but those are the little choices that Scream makes that just separate. I mean, it's just it's it's a really clever addition to that ending scene, yeah. right? Instead of him popping up out of nowhere and doing it. Adding that little beat is just fascinating. Um, I would say Oliphant didn't do it for me in this at all. You know, man. Nothing about him personally. No. Just the, the Mickey being part of the killer. Because they add this really cool idea that I wish they would have gone in on a little. Right. And I actually think it's kind of what Scream 3 maybe in some way attempts to do. Which is 
Mickey, she has that weird line where she's like, there's only 97 active serial killers, and I got a young one on the rise. I'm like, no, no, uh, I don't like that. But I do like his idea of he's like, he's more stoked. He's like, I want to get caught. I'm different. Yeah. I want to get caught, and I want to put movies on trial. Well, and I think that's I the- think that's that's a cool thing that obviously when we'll talk about Scream 3 and some of the issues it faced became a really big yes. real world narrative. Well, that the question I have about it, too, is one, they didn't do anything with it because Mickey just exists. Right. He's not really putting movies on trial, but also it feels weird that he's the guy who wants to put horror movies on trial. Well, what's really interesting. Well, again, like this is his motivation. Like, and this is the thing that I love the most about. Laurie Metcalf in this movie like Mrs. Loomis is a world-class manipulator because yeah this is like his whole shtick like he gives this big long-winded speech about putting movies on trial all this other shit like the kind of stuff that we're used to from this movie and then she literally shoots him in the head or shoots him in the chest and she's like did you hear that crazy shit fuck that guy how'd you buy that for a motive but that's what I like too because but I thought but that's great because it literally is I want to get caught to be put on trial. No, that is, is a, a really cool idea, right? This becoming famous through infamy. Yeah. Beat. Well, it's a great idea. I thought it was cool and it just kind of like evaporated. That's fine. To me, like, again, I think that's a great idea and it gives that character a decent motivation without like just making him like, well, I like to stab so much. I decided to participate. Like, that's like the important yeah, right? thing. <laughs> like, it gives him a reason to exist. Because you knew something else was coming, right? Because we had already seen like, him sneak in when she's on the phone at the sorority. So, like, you knew there were two. It my it's important. That was the thing. I was like, I felt like there was a another. I felt like they could have played a different card. They could have, but I mean, like, again, he gets shot like within five seconds of revealing his motivation. So it almost means nothing, yeah. anyways. Like, it but means rewatching some- the series. I keep being struck by the thought that there are two very obvious people to have under the hood that they never got to. And it's Dewey and Sydney's dad, right? Yeah. There's just there's there's underlying. I mean, Sydney's dad more for part three, but he could have been in here too. His life was also ruined by all this, you know. Yeah. So, but even Dewey like coming back and just be, <laughs> he took everything from me. Now all I see is the face, but you know, and he he does the Kaiser Soze, but with his arm where he's like, and then just a full flowing ass arm that would. <laughs> I don't know. I just I felt like Mickey was just kind of like shoehorned in because they'd be like, no one will suspect that we're going to do Billy part two. <laughs> I mean, again, it was it made sense. It didn't bother me as much. I mean, Timothy Oliphant, the movie is creepy enough anyways, because this is right around the time he like this was in the late 90s. So he's doing like go. He's not the hero yeah. in a lot of movies. He's like no. the bad guy in a lot of like yeah. the first movie I ever saw Timothy Oliphant in was was go where he's an ecstasy dealer. That's like the yeah. first thing I remember him from, and he's always been that person for me forever. No matter what he does, he's that creepy. Ter- even in Deadwood, yeah, even in Deadwood, I'm like, just where's the stoically slinging? Where's that dude slanging X, man? Marshall's slanging no, X. I, I, I'm not saying this is an affront to Oliphant. Not at all. I. It's so weird because I think this movie. We'll wrap up on our sequel discussion, right? I think this movie is so good, mm-hmm. right? I do feel like they step on their dick a little bit because you know Laurie Metcalf is the killer immediately if you have any kind of attention span. You know that she did it. It's hard to accept that no one knows what she looks like. And then Mickey's just forced in. It's so it's such a weird thing because that should ruin the movie for me. But Scream is so clever and has these built-in roundabouts mm-hmm. That it doesn't, and the fact that it's on a stage, I think, is the best way to wrap this movie up, because it makes everything melodramatic and insane, yes. right? Sydney's life has become this, you know, weird story that, and she literally can't escape the stage, right? It's like the only stage that builds actual walls that you can't escape, right? And Sydney's in this kind of metaphysical, like, oh, my life is a bad play. I thought, I thought that was real, but that I think it's it's wild to me that that doesn't ruin the movie for me in a way i mean i think that that's the strength of scream 2 in general is that yeah. it's a great it's it's funny like one of the first scenes the first scene we see randy meeks in is in his film study class where they're debating sequels and yeah i mean what's fascinating is scream 2 is i think arguably i mean no it's not arguably scream 2 is a great sequel to a movie 
Great sequel. It's to- a great sequel, but where do we rank it among horror movie number twos? I mean, we'll, okay. So let's. What see. would you Halloween put in front of two. it? Halloween two. Halloween two. Right, no, no, no. Halloween two. I think not as good as Scream two. Right. So take Hall- Friday the Thirteenth two. That's a close one. I really like what they did. Friday, in Friday the Thirteenth. I'd say two. is one of my all time favorite horror sequels. Like see that one. Night Nightmare on Elm Street two. I really like. Again, I love sequels that take me in weird, interesting directions, right? Uh, Evil Dead 2. Evil Dead 2, to me, is the top horror That's movie top number tier, two of all time. Yeah, Hellraiser number two, throw that out. Not very good. Leprechaun 2, fantastic. Pumpkinhead 2, not so great. Yeah. But right? it's hard, Hostel it's, 2. It's hard <laughs> to top that first one, though. Yeah, but I mean that's what I'm saying. I think Scream is Scream Two to me, is it's in it's in the class with Evil Dead Two. I think so too, man. Friday, I I think it's better than Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, and I bet more people would say they like that over Nightmare Two. Mm-hmm. I think for me it goes Evil Dead Two, and then Nightmare and Scream Two yeah. are kind of right. I'd say in they're that evenly running. matched, but yeah, I would agree. Hellraiser Two makes me furiously angry to this day, like irrationally angry. That makes sense. Make me mad. Make me want to throw Fiest mad. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else I would put up there and just even horror. I know they mentioned House Two, the second story. I was like, wow, that's a fucking deep one. <laughs> Waxwork Two is fantastic. I don't know how deep we want to go down this. Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. Actually, I'll say this: Slumber Party Massacre Part Two, where the guy's drill becomes like a Prince guitar. It's it's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> uh, Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead. Maybe Dawn of the Dead in the mall. I don't know. Yeah, that's what I mean, though. I think this is probably a top five. Yeah. An easy top five best horror sequel. It's pretty excellent. Again, yeah. and if for a movie that literally references itself constantly. Yeah. Again, you shouldn't be able to do that, and you shouldn't be able to make it this good and this engaging as a horror movie on its own. Like, it should be a distraction that this movie constantly references itself, and it's not. And that is, again, like... <laughs> That is the strength of Kevin Williamson as a writer, and that's the strength of Wes Craven understanding what he hath brought. Yeah, it's it's really cool because the whole thing is a puzzle box that just keeps saying, hey, it's a puzzle. Yeah. So the whole time you're trying to figure it out while being a little bit it's constantly just throwing red herrings at you and dissertations on what you're watching. And it just makes this perfect formula. And I think this one adds these kind of extra fun visual elements yeah right the wild opening in the movie theater that's just like what the fuck was that great stage play is amazing so there's some extra fun beats in there There is one thing and like even like this movie even has a moment like i got choked up when i saw dewey get get it and you're just like no and then you're like of course dewey's not dead but like Oh, what if Dewey had died right there? That would have like fucked me up, man. <laughs> I, we didn't we didn't bring this up, and I, I just really quickly like Randy Meeks's death is one of my all time faves because he also has one of the greatest lines of this entire series when the killer asks him, "What's your favorite scary movie?" and his answer is Showgirls, definitely. That yeah, right. <laughs> might be one of that my all time favorite lines in a movie. Blockbuster employee attitude. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I like it might be one of my all time favorite. Like that's another funny one because jabs. that was another great context clue yeah. they buried in. Because when he's walking in the road, he says, "And don't even get me started on Billy, that fucking mama's boy." But and that's when he gets dragged in and yep, slaughtered. Totally. And you're like, "Oh, we're doing Mrs. Voorhees." But that was like, yeah, no, Randy's death was. But again, this is just. There's almost a an extra brutality. Oh, it's horrible. Which is weird because the first one, I think the kills were a little more big to where you can sever you're like wait gutted and hung from a tree right that doesn't feel as much as just like someone dragged me in and shanked me right that feels more oh dude that happens all the time so i i just think this movie strikes such a fantastic blend and again to your point how they pulled it off again right it's kind of like it should be a one right paranormal activity has an amazing sequel too yes but this is it's one of those with paranormal activity. I'm always impressed. I think it's one of the most impressive horror series. And how does it keep working? Every yeah. movie is the exact same bag of tricks. And it always worked on me. Every movie until they made the fatal flaw. Hey, you know, it'd be great in paranormal activity movies. What if you saw everything? Yeah. And you're like, no, sorry. The like uh fart cloud of demon is not as cool <laughs> as 
me being afraid of every corner in my house. Exactly. But yeah, I think I think it's amazing that Scream was able to pull this off so successfully in the sequel. And yeah, I think the sequel is just a, a tiny notch below the first one, and it's one of the best horror sequels of all time. Agreed. All right, guys, that's it for Scream 2, man. I hope you had a good time with us. Again, we're doing a horror movie every single day this month. So we will be back tomorrow with Scream 3. Uh, Ghostface goes Hollywood. Hollywood. To, to yak it up with the Scooby-Doo gang. <laughs> so that's uh, Scream Part 3. That'll be tomorrow. As always, take a second. Leave us a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcast app. Please, please, please. It helps us out enormously uh subscribe to our youtube channel and see our beautiful faces nerd alchemist plural with an s at the end uh find us on all your social medias hit us up with your ideas for movie- movies you'd like to hear us talk about guest hosts all that good stuff email the show film alchemist pod until tomorrow i'm josh Griffin. i'm alex dandino